This is episode number 22 of the Abuse Talk podcast with me, Jennifer Gilmore. Welcome to the Abuse Talk podcast. My name is Jennifer Gilmore and I turned my mess into a message. I'm an author and advocate for women in abusive relationships and promote that together we are louder. Each fortnight there is a new episode on the Abuse Talk podcast featuring a series of interviews with those that work in the domestic abuse sector, getting an inside feel for what it's really like in their job role and sharing it with all of you. There's also a chance for you to join in the discussion by leaving a voice recording a message so that we can share together in the discussion. Today I'm going to be talking with Karen Evans on what support is available for women living in barracks and Karen answers um, questions that have been sent in via Twitter, email, um, on Facebook Um, and she has been a part of the domestic abuse field for around 15 years, initially based within the Public Protection Department for the Police but now based within the Council Community Safety Team. She's also chair of the DA Forum and her focus is on how she can work best together to support all of those affected by domestic abuse. Now, I've asked her to talk about um, all things to do with armed forces and what support is available because somebody actually inquired about it on a previous podcast episode, leaving a voice note. And it is definitely an area that I did not know about or wasn't able to even give any advice or guidance with. So I am really delighted that Karen was able to come on and talk to us about this because she just has so much knowledge. And by the end of it, I definitely feel like I knew a lot more because, well, I knew nothing. So big thank you, Karen. And um, I hope you enjoy the interview as well. Perhaps get a pen and paper ready for this one because she just has a wealth of knowledge. Before we get started, I want to say a huge thank you to Rockpool. They're the main sponsors for Hashtag Abuse Talk and they actually have just released some online tutorials. So I just want to go over those for you today. Um, Well, just focusing on the one actually, which is the trauma-informed return to work during COVID-19. And these are going to be online live hour tutorials, which will enable individuals and organisations to better manage the transition to the new normal. Clearly something that is going to be very important as the lockdown ease continues. So obviously we're considering returning to work post-lockdown and um, Rockpool believe that it's the most effective and supportive way to do this by taking a trauma-informed approach and that is what they're all about. So the tutorial will look at how trauma and COVID-19 may have impacted on our clients, ourselves as practitioners and as managers and how we're going to maybe adjust to changes in the workplace and the advantages of trauma-informed approaches um, for the post-lockdown. It's going to include live question and answer sessions and um, you can access them. 
Um, the dates I've got here are 8th of July, 13th of July and the 22nd of July. So go to their website and check it out, rockpool.life. I also want to say a big thank you to patrons Katrina Hay and Susan Rahima. They um, help, they support me on Patreon and you can join in there as well. They get to find out the process and the journey of the app development that's happening right now for Abuse Talk. They get inside feel, they're going to have voting powers in the future as we grow. So you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash Jen L. Gilmore. So Karen, welcome. Thank you for joining me at last. (laughs) Thank you for inviting me. It's great to be here. No problem. Um, First of all, could you just um, tell everyone a bit about you and and your job role so everybody gets a feel for what you do? Yeah, sure. So um, I've been chairing the Domestic Abuse Forum in our area for the past 15 years and really kind of seen quite a change during that time. So 15 years ago, really, domestic abuse was quite an, a newly discussed issue. Um, there was a lot of um, kind of work around sort of getting people to understand what domestic abuse was. A lot of the time it was kind of thought about as physical abuse. And sort of gradually over the years, things have really, really changed to the point now that we've even got laws about coercive control. So like a massive change during that time. So my role really is to kind of bring together all the organisations Uh, The councils and the police at that time recognised that there was quite a gap in terms of bringing the agencies together. So lots of people were recognising there was a problem with domestic abuse. There was a need for people to work together, but it was putting in place that mechanism. How could we do that? How could we bring everyone together? So really kind of starting from that point, it started with a few organisations, mainly sort of key statutory organisations, also like victim support, really involved at that time. And then over time sort of gradually evolved. So the forums got much, much larger. We've got specialist domestic abuse services now, but we've also got a lot of voluntary services. We've got a lot of statutory agencies, everyone kind of working together to try and support people. So the area that I'm based is uh, very near to a military town. So we've got a high percentage, probably about 10% of the population in our local area is military. We've got both army and we've got RAF bases as well locally Um, and really we kind of felt that there was a need to kind of all come together and we formed a a smaller subgroup that we could really focus on armed forces issues so thinking about actually you know the support was there within the military support was there outside the military but how did we get everyone sort of working together how did we end up that you know really people living in these situations you know they could access civilian support if they wanted military support how could we all kind of work together how could we learn from each other good practice in both military and civilian how could we bring that together so really kind of quite a journey in terms of our understanding also when we first formed our group it was like really quite new so there wasn't a huge amount of joint work in between military and civilian around domestic abuse so quite lucky really we got in quite an early stage and as a result of that, I've been on quite a you know, really, really good journey in terms of helping to develop both national and local practice. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's again, it's something that I hadn't even thought thought about too much. And hearing, you know, that you've made those connections and have that ability to, you know, provide that kind of support in a collective way is obviously an important part of, you know, what needs to be done in general. So, um, if we can talk a bit more about support for, you know, a woman that would be living in the barracks, what what kind of support is there? So within the barracks, there's a huge amount of support. You've obviously got garrison headquarters, so you've got that kind of chain of command. Um, you've got unit welfare officers that they support the families. And also we've got uh, specialist support services, so army welfare service. Um, we've got SAFA that covers the RAF. And we've mm -hmm. also got naval service family and people support that um, deliver independent support for families. So it's really up to each individual as to what sort of support they feel most confident in accessing. Mm -hmm. So for some people, it might be that they don't want to go anywhere near the chain of command because uh, they're worried about perhaps implications on the serving person's career. They're worried about, you know, what will happen if they say something. So they might, for example, feel better accessing civilian support, which is absolutely fine. They can do that. But if they feel confident enough, then ideally, if they can if they can access one of these independent specialist support services, they have the military background, so they're able to help them both in terms of domestic abuse support, but also knowing what's possible within that military context as well. You know, mm. what's the reality? What happens if they actually come forward and ask for help? Mm. Obviously, as I said, you've also got unit welfare officers, so they're very closely involved with the families but they are part of the chain of command. So for some people, that's like great, because again, that can be really, really helpful. For other people, they might feel a little bit uncomfortable because it might be people they feel they know almost a bit too well to kind of right. discuss these issues. So that's sort of wide spectrum, really, depending on what each individual feels is best, you know, best for them. Mm. And so how, how would they find out about it? Is it a part of, you know, I mean, I have no idea on the terminology of anything of this and I should have probably stated that at the beginning and, and sort of the protocols on anything, but say if, is it when, you know, we move into the barracks that people find out or is it, you know, something that you update people with or, you know, try and get people that awareness raised in that field? So how would that work? So I think it's a combination of all those things mm. because um, even in the general population, people who are experiencing domestic abuse obviously often sort of don't recognise that that's what it is. Mm. You know, it can be very hidden and people just think that their relationship is how everyone's relationship is. And actually, until you get to a certain point, often people aren't consciously looking out for that information. So if you read an article about domestic abuse, you might not kind of even think it applies to you at all so yeah. it's quite difficult because um although you know like people when you move into a barracks yes there's a directory of services provided you've got high centers are there to help people find out information it's just that often people wouldn't think to actually look for domestic abuse and mm -hmm. actually think about that so it's covered within training um you know the garrisons are kind of really conscious of domestic abuse and so say it's in that publicity material people get when they move into a barracks however as i say sometimes that might not be the right moment for somebody actually needing that information so continual like awareness raising is really really important you know and just getting people to think about actually is your relationship like this oh well actually that might not be that healthy you know mm. we need to support you 
And that's both sides really, that's both whether you're a victim or a perpetrator or a child young person living in that household. Mm. So it's, it's always quite sort of nuanced, it's always that kind of, you know, people do their very, very best to try and explain that the support is here, this is how you can access it, but often it isn't something that people actually can, um, can actually sort of think, yes, that resonates with me, that's what I need to do, that's where I need to look for support. Yeah, no. Well, I think um, I think that we people can relate to that in a in a, a normal setting, or not a normal setting, but you know, usual sort of you know everyday life kind of situation where you you have to find the words to explain something rather than using maybe the professional terminology, which gets dif- difficult the further down the line you go in your knowledge and experience because it's really easy to sort of slip into that, isn't it? Um, so. Like I say, we, we've had you know questions about general support, um, but we have had um, questions, and I, I mean, I'm not sure if you will know, but somebody has asked, what is the difference between the UK and the um, USA legalities in the military to, regarding domestic abuse? Would that be something you know about? <laughs> So it's um, again, it's kind of a little bit depending where a person's serving. Mm-hmm. But basically, if you're sent abroad, so if you're a UK citizen, you're within the armed forces. Your family are, are then classed as part of the armed forces. So if you're posted to America, you come under service law, right? And you're governed by UK law if it's service. However, obviously that can change. So, like, say if you're um, perhaps a UK service person, you go abroad, you meet someone, a USA national. Right. you have a domestic incident which takes place outside the barracks then obviously then that's where the u.s law would come into place right i see and if the u.s person was the perpetrator or the victim probably as to which route that went um so each everywhere in the world where there are military families there is support in place through army welfare service or it might be SAP, it might be the naval service family support service um, or it might be whoever, you know, whichever agency they've got. So sometimes in some countries, it might be that it's an army base, but then the service, the support is delivered by SAFA social care. But there is always somebody in those countries. And we've got um, an armed forces website. If you just Google armed forces, domestic abuse, UK, you come to the mod.gov.uk website. Um, and that's one that our forum has put together. And within that, we've got a section on worldwide support. So wherever you are in the world, you can look at who your support service would be at that point. Wow. So you're not you're dealing with the whole world now, which I think is impressive because it's so difficult, isn't it? Especially with, you know, connecting or finding what the current um, law is or the changes or the policies. So that's um, quite a big job you've got there in putting that together. So thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, sometimes you just don't know if um, you, people are going to know this information and everything but it sounds like you've got so much knowledge on on this um, and definitely why I've been connected with you so thank you. Um, somebody has asked about the law enforcement and the traditional system of a domestic dispute of people who are married to a veteran and that's is there a difference between if that veteran um, has a disability or whether they you know don't have a disability or a mental health problem would they be treated any any differently right so if you're a serving person 
you come under service law mm-hmm. but if you're based in the UK. So if like you're serving abroad and you're a service person, um, if you commit an offence, then the service police deal with that. If you're in the UK and you commit an offence, the service police might respond to that and they might deal with it depending on the severity or it might be um, the civilian police. However, with veterans, when you've left the service, then you totally come under the civilian. Right. So, so if a veteran commits an offence, they're dealt with totally by civilian police, the military wouldn't get involved at all. The right. only thing is that there is additional support available for veterans. So if, for example, somebody um, you know, had served in the, um, in the services, they're a veteran, they commit an offence, we have got additional support in place. So within the police custody centres, within the prisons, there's normally like a veteran support service within that criminal justice system. So somebody who understands the unique experiences someone who has served has gone through and then they can provide them additional support. So it wouldn't change how someone's dealt with through the legalities of it. No. They would still be fully accountable for their actions, as would everybody. But there is additional support which is over and above what's available to the civilian population that they can access. Okay, no, that's great. So going on from that then, would, would there be any difference if they were, you know, in service then and with, you know, maybe a mental health problem, would there be a difference in treatment regarding that? Yeah, so again, like the, the law side of it, you know, if they commit an offence, that's obviously dealt with as or you know as for everybody Um, but yeah there's a lot of additional support available within the military Mm -hmm. so if someone's got a mental health issue within the armed forces there are you know there's mental health specialists that are armed forces based and everything Um, if you're a veteran you're more looking at combat stress or civilian support service for that mental health but actually while you're serving yes there's a lot of support Uh, there's rehabilitation support there's unit welfare officers are involved you know there's a whole team really around supporting that person get that help they need no that's great thank you so could could you um tell us what measures have been taken to ensure all spouses of working personnel know there is support if they experience domestic abuse right so in terms of this kind of two problems really so we've got top down bottom up sort of thing <laughs> so at the top of the armed forces uh, there's a joint service um policy so jsp it's jsp 913 and that goes across each of the three services and it's kind of looking at actually how the army navy raf will respond the marines um, how they will respond to domestic abuse. So what's expected, what commanding officers are expected to do, what support um, is in place. And anybody within the armed forces can access that document, have a look and see what it's saying. So that's very much the kind of policy side of things. Um, obviously then that translates then into an action plan, which sort of filters down. So each of the armed forces also has their own working group. So the army has a domestic abuse working group. And again, they look at all those strands, they look at the national policy, they look at what's needed and then how can that translate? So quite often it might be there's a big campaign takes place or it might be messages go out. So for example, um, starting from um, the White Ribbon Day last year, there was a very much a campaign of sort of each day messages going out. So within the armed forces, a lot of the messages go out to the service person. And right. often it isn't to the spouse directly. And it's kind of very much the serving person then communicates that information. In the same way, really, as 
regardless of who you work for a normal employer so yeah so they would be the information service person they would share it um so obviously if you've got an abusive situation you've got someone who's, who's serving and very controlling obviously they might not share that information with the other person but right. so alongside that you've then got the families federations so you've got armies family federation and they've got like somebody who specializes in domestic abuse and those family federations are very much for that wider family so for the spouse the other family members so they can access that information there's mm -hmm. information on their website but also you can contact them they've got specialists that you can contact so this is happening what do i do mm -hmm. again army you know all of those family federations again they've got magazines they're producing they've got like all those things and they're always free to all the spouses of family members so people can just like register and then every month or well, every quarter they'll get a magazine which comes which has lots of information about loads of different things so quite often within that there'll be information on domestic abuse but because there's so much else as well it's not so obvious if someone's looking right. at the information Yes, I mean, I, I, mem I have had a couple of experiences where when I was um, had my younger children and in I was in uh, Cheshire at the time and they had um, pop up kind of children's events. And one of them used to be once a month and it was in the barracks. Although when, the, when I first went there, I was like, maybe I'm not meant to be here because I'm not a part of the barracks but people would actually come yeah. in so you'd have that kind of you know feel and there was say, the same children sort of support workers or family support workers that you would see in children's center sort of go over to them I think it was probably the first time that I'd sort of thought about um you know the barracks and what that means for families and and that sort of help and support so I suppose maybe you know family events like that will help you know like play groups and things so I'm assuming that's probably a part of you know maybe the messages to to get through and to raise awareness in that way as well but I can imagine it's quite difficult and there are a lot of extra barriers to sort of overcome with it um from what, what I'm thinking about and how I would maybe try and put myself in the shoes so what is the percent of the number of people involved in the armed forces who self-refer to seek support, especially where they're based in remote or overseas, so overseas areas? So I haven't actually got that data and it would be quite difficult to get because obviously people can refer to all those different people. So they could refer to a unit welfare officer, they could go to the chain of command, they could go to their commanding officer, they could go to the independent services, they could go civilian. So it's very, very difficult to know. Um, King's College London have been doing some research uh, because until recently we hadn't really got much data on, you know, what the extent was of domestic abuse in the armed forces, etc. So they have been kind of trying to really drill down into, you know, what can we find out, what do... Uh, you know what is help seeking like you know what are the percentages is it the same as a civilian society or is, are there any differences any nuances um, but unfortunately that information that data isn't uh, ready yet for publication but it right. will be coming in due course I mean we've kind of always worked on the basis that actually you know people are recruited from all societies so the prevalence is likely to be very similar to what it is in the wider population so one in four women, one in six men, we're looking at large numbers. You've got a large employer, you know, you've got a lot of people involved in this military. 
So it's likely the percentages are likely to be very similar. Um, right. So when you think about reported domestic abuse, we tend to have quite a lot in the kind of 16 to 24 to 35 age groups, like right. anyway. Um, and when you think, again, that's a key age because obviously people in the armed forces tend to be younger in that age group. So, yes, um... so it's, it's difficult really statistic wise, but it would be, at least, you know, it's going to be on the similar lines to the civilian population, but there's likely to be a few nuances because obviously it's very different living in sort of a bubble if you're within a barracks. So all your friends are army or navy, RAF, I mean, everyone's the same. You kind of move around as a group. So your key friends, you might have moved away from your home. All these kind of things are going to make it a little bit more difficult for people to access or feel that they can speak out about what's happening. Because it's yeah. going to be a lot more consequences, really. Would there be a time when um, somebody might, you know, see the signs, the red flags, you know, that we all talk about and go, there's something happening there or that woman has changed behaviour and those children have changed their behaviour or they can sense something's happening. Would there be a time where somebody would intervene or try and reach out to that family? Absolutely. Um, All of those kind of agencies, so unit welfare officers, they're going to be keeping an eye on the families, touching base with people regularly. Uh, again, those specialist services there, there as well. China Command might recognise something's happening, perhaps someone's performance changes. So there's lots and lots of opportunities if people spot the signs. But obviously, as with all domestic abuse, a lot of it behind closed doors, there's a lot of mm. efforts made to cover up what's happening. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine for a, for a service spouse, you know, it's quite a big decision really to speak out in a way. And obviously we really want them to do that, particularly accessing the confidential support so they can find out what their options are, kind of explore the issues further. But obviously, you know, people will be concerned. I think what happens if I say something, um, if you're living in military accommodation, what happens with that is yeah. a really big concern. Um, a lot of the children might be in um, boarding school, for example, the military pays for. People have concerns about that. Um, you know, what am I going to do? What happens? What if? What if? What about promotion? Mm-hmm. Um, and also, if people are going to be posted away. Sometimes people think, oh, well, I'll wait till, you know, I've only got to manage another week, then they'll be gone. And yeah. then I've got so much break or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And then obviously, you kind of think, oh, while well, the person's away, perhaps they've changed. They're yes. fine or lovey dovey, come back. And then actually, those underlying pressures might still be there. But mm-hmm. yes, absolutely. If somebody, picks up you know if someone recognizes that you know there's a concern they think there might be domestic abuse then absolutely all the policies and everything are there saying yes you know it won't be sort of overlooked we're not going to you know not do anything if someone tells yeah. something so it's very much kind of proactive but that obviously can only happen if somebody spotted something's wrong and needs help yes um well i'm just thinking from memory here and thinking is it is it right or is are there some differences that if you're married to somebody that is in service that there are there they don't have to go away as less or they can move into the barracks or something is there a different um i think i can't remember if it was my friend she had to get married for a reason um but then she ended up in an abusive relationship um but that brought her support or extra perks i don't know if that's correct i mean i don't know how to to word it so apologies on that (laughs) 
No, that's fine. I mean, um, it's always been really that if you want to have a military family house, you need to be married. Right. Obviously, it's got to, obviously, you've got to demonstrate that, you know, that real sort of family bond sort of thing in place. So it's always been that unless you're married, the spouse, you know, the spouse, the partner can't go with the serving person. So if they're posted abroad, for example, and you're not married, you wouldn't be able to go with them, that sort of thing. Right, I see. That is sort of changing now. So they're looking at, um, with the future accommodation model, they're kind of looking at people in long-term relationships and, and different sort of models for accommodation. But definitely sort of into the recent past, it's very much been, has been a big factor. So yeah. if you're going out with somebody and you're, you live in Scotland and they're based down in the south of the ca- uh, country, then obviously there is quite a big kind of pull to get married to be together. Yeah. And then you've got someone who perhaps you know your relationship's going to be a long distance relationship potentially for a while anyway then you get married then you move to a totally different part of the country or world you're away from your family to your friends Mm. you can become really isolated and then if you're with somebody who's um, very controlling quite abusive you're in that kind of isolated bubble and you might not have that you know that knowledge of who's around you who can help you so you can see how it becomes difficult for people um, your friend, for example, once she's in the service family accommodation, um, then if the status changes, if they separate, then there's a set time, there's 93 days that a person can stay in the accommodation before right. they need to find alternative accommodation. And again, so it's quite a big, if you trigger that 93 days, then you get that notice to leave the accommodation. You've got to find somewhere else to go. You might have children. Now there's support. I mean, there is support. And there are. <laughs> The services are really flexible with that but obviously you know for a lot of people they kind of think about that 93 yeah. don't want to trigger that what's going to happen um, and as I say like if they get stuck after that 93 days of support can be put in place you know mm. there's different options they might have to pay commercial rent for example mm. but it is it is a larger decision potentially than you if you're not sort of within that sort of that service family setup. Yeah, I can imagine it being quite difficult, especially if they're, you know, and I was thinking about, you know, the the marriage implication, obviously, to sort of get a a home in the barracks then, that you're going to see maybe younger younger people getting married because of that factor, because of that job role, and then maybe that not being the right decision, that's a forced decision, and that always being at the back of the mind. Um, So not only just for, you know, abusive relationships or potential abusive relationships but for normal relationships as well um so what is being done to make sure that those affected by domestic abuse have a smoother housing process when leaving the armed forces so someone's obviously put this uh, obviously knows this i think they work with you um it's a, they said it's a stressful situation regarding the 90 i think it was a 93 day notice yeah. you said and bailiff threat on top of the leaning a traumatic leaving a trauma traumatic situation so to sum it up you know what's that smoother process um looking like when leaving the armed forces it's you know especially in that situation then yeah so i mean the specialist services do everything they can to make it as smooth as possible but it is quite difficult because obviously the councils have a duty to, pe- uh, to house people who are homeless but people can't present as homeless until they've got that notice. Right. So almost it kind of, even if it was like a civilian relationship, 
and if you were living in a house and you have to leave because of domestic abuse again there's similar sort of pressures it's always going to be quite abrupt so you can try your best to kind of smooth it but it's never going to be that easy because mm. everyone's like um kind of duties and obviously like once someone presents as homeless then yes a solution has to be found for that mm. but in the 93 days obviously they work really really hard to try and find a different solution so if there's domestic abuse you can present in any area in the country um and you know as long as you explain that there's domestic abuse that's why you need to leave the household you then get then priority with housing Mm -hmm. so it's not always a good you know a, a fabulous solution because there aren't like loads and loads of council you know or housing association properties that you can just yeah. slide into and be a forever home sort of thing um mm -hmm. but there is a lot of support given obviously as soon as somebody knows that the 93 days is going to come or as part of perhaps their planning so if you're living with an abusive relationship but you're not ready to leave quite yet you can then go and find out what the options are so you can then find and you can kind of think ahead what happens how can I do that? Um, and at the end of the day, if someone's in an emergency situation, they can always access refuge accommodation. Right, okay. So in addition to the refugees that are set up across the country, there are also some military specific um, stepping stones, it's called. So some military specific accommodation, emergency accommodation that people can access. And there are some spaces as well within that for people with no recourse to public funding. Because right. although we've been talking primarily about people who are UK citizens to start with. We have to remember we've got quite a lot of foreign Commonwealth families as well. Mm. So if the spouses come with them and this domestic abuse, they haven't automatically got recourse to public funding and therefore right. ability for, for the councils or the local authorities to then be paying for the accommodation. But again, there's kind of within the armed forces there is, you know, they have kind of looked at each of these scenarios. Yes. How can we support as best possible? But it is always going to be difficult. Whenever you move house, it can be difficult. And when you're leaving an abusive relationship, it's not going to be right. I'm going to go tomorrow, you know, five yeah. days time. And will you help me pack? And do you know what I mean? But I mean, there are options because sometimes within the armed forces, if this is the case, it might be. <coughs> excuse me. Uh, the service person potentially could be sent on a training course or something to give the victim a bit of time to actually sort out to get out of the house or it right. could be they could be housed within the barracks so again putting that bit of barrier that bit of time in place for the person but it's very individual based for some people it's never going to be safe for them to kind of let someone know that they're preparing to leave or actually going so there's yeah. always going to be difficult times but so as long as people kind of go speak as early as they can to the housing department of their council that you know the area that they want to move to speak to explain what's happening and they will always help them and also as I say the specialist support services within the armed forces will also help yeah i mean it sounds like that there is so much that i had never even considered or thought about but it sounds like there is a lot in place and just like everywhere or everywhere else it's that awareness of that support and that service available to somebody going through that situation um so there are, you've covered so much i feel like i've learned so much just in that space of half an hour um talking with you and just really want to thank you because it's really opened my eyes to you know putting myself in that situation or thinking about what support is available for somebody in that situation um, and hopefully um, that 
the lady who had requested this um, to, to come to life this episode it'll hopefully answer those questions so thank you so much Karen for giving up your time um, if people wanted to get in touch with um, who what organisation was it that you worked with um, so I addressed it abuse oh. forum but I would suggest the kind of the first point of contact I would suggest is the mod.gov.uk on forces right. website on domestic abuse uh, within that we've got sections so it's individual services and you can click on that and then it tells you where all the support is worldwide or within the UK um, there's also case studies about the type of help that's been provided for people and on the website as well we've got a practitioner's handbook and within that we've really tried to demystify everything so we've set out really clearly what's the difference between a unit welfare officer mm -hmm. and army welfare service uh, the one being part of the training command the other one being totally independent and mm -hmm. confidential so we've really tried to set that out um, we've also kind of put about the 93 days we've tried to cover all the things that might be pe things people are worried about so within that practitioner's handbook even if you're a victim a spouse you know that hopefully that answers a lot of the questions sort of demystifies everything we've also got information on the families federations so trying to within that website pull everything together but if there's information that you think actually a lot of people need to have if we miss something you know then please please get in touch that'd be brilliant because we're always trying to evolve the website make sure it's as useful as possible because we know yeah, that's people, great you know, um people to be able to get the help if they need it as and when they need it no, definitely. Thank you so much. And what I will do is I'll pop um, the links that you've mentioned in the description so people can just click through really nice and easy. So if you pop to the description, everything will be there for you. If you feel like you need to have a look or out of interest or for help and support, then please do that. Well, thank you, Karen, so much for that. What we're going to do is we're going to head over to Twitter and actually carry on the conversation about this over there because it's clearly something we should shed some light on so for those of you who don't know the twitter chat is under hashtag abuse talk and we go live every wednesday 8 till 9 p.m and that's uk time and we discuss something different each week so we're going to carry on the discussion to do with um military and um living in barracks over there and linked to domestic abuse so if you're free and if you're able you can pop over there and we'll chat over there as well so thank you so much karen for giving your your knowledge and your insight and and that valuable information to us today thank you and thank you for inviting me i know that within the armed forces they're really keen they want people to know the help so they want people to access that so thank you very much for the opportunity oh thank you The next episode of the Abuse Talk podcast will be available on the 16th of July. It's actually a part two. And if you haven't listened to the last episode, I actually sat down, had a chat with my husband and we spoke about what it's like to be in a relationship with somebody that's come out of an abusive relationship. We were really quite open with how things were and our journey and even even going forward to what our relationship is like now so hopefully 
that will be covered in part two. I'm really excited about it because it's something that we feel needs shining a light on. So that's on the 16th of July and if you're not catching it on the podcast you can listen to it on Access Northwest radio station and you can listen on Wednesday evenings 8pm, Saturday afternoons at 2pm and for those early bird risers Monday at 5am and it's aired every single week so thank you to Access Northwest radio station you are complete gems for broadcasting this on there and yeah you have been listening to um, me Jennifer Gilmore and I hope you've en- you enjoy the podcast we'd love to hear your feedback so if you are on Apple Spotify listening on Anchor wherever you are please drop a review we've now got 22 episodes and well on the way and we really like producing these so let us know what you think and how you how we're doing also to know if you haven't checked out our new website you can check it out at www.abusetalk.co.uk we have a shared platform in a blog and we have um, the forum over there which houses a solicitor And we also have everything about the Twitter chat. So you can just basically find out everything about what we do over there. Right. I just want to let you know that I'm an author and advocate for women in abusive relationships. You can find my books on Amazon. They're called Isolation Junction and Clipped Wings. Or you can head to my personal website, jennifergilmore.com.